are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm doing a pretty special recording today. It's something that I've been talking to this gentleman about for quite some time. Um, recording on the, the beautiful property of our local North Georgia Traditional Club. Obviously, Nick is not here with me. He's he's actually probably going to be a little bit jealous about this because uh, the, the fellow that I'm going to be sitting here talking to, uh, I've talked to Nick about quite a few times and when Nick was, was hunting with me back in uh, uh, the 2018 season, we hunted some on this property and kept hoping we might run into this gentleman, but it, it just didn't work out. So uh, anyway, I'm sitting here in, in lovely North Georgia with Mr. Gene Bramlett. How are you doing, Gene? I'm great. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. It's good. We've been talking about doing this for almost since I started the podcast. It's been a long time. And uh, I reached out to you by text this week, and <laughs> you sent me a response and said, wow, you must be getting pretty desperate for guests. That's right. And, Scraping the bottom of the barrel here, buddy. <laughs> and that, that is the, the furthest from the mm. truth, but it was one of those things where... Uh, we had a we had a really good recording last week. I had one in the bank, and I told Nick, I said, you know what, take the week off. I'm gonna get this thing scheduled because I'm tired of I'm tired of procrastinating on it and putting it off. Uh, and before we get into the, I guess the 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 real meat of the matter that we've been talking about doing this thing on. So you and I kind of met on this. Well, we did meet on this property. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I don't know how long ago that's been, but I know it's been. 12 15 not that long for me it's, it's i only i only started shooting uh traditional bows and and i look I don't even talk about compounds because i owned a compound and i didn't have sense enough to make it work for me so i never never ever hunted with it uh, never hunted I never with did, not one time not one time uh i shot it some Never could get the hang of the sights, so I put it away and wound up selling that thing. It was a, it was no bare whitetail hunter, and yep, uh, remember those. I, I wound up selling that thing to a guy for probably twenty five dollars. Uh, but I got started with traditional equipment in about '09, so it would have been since then that we met up here. It might have been the '09 3D season. It might have been ten, but it was in that time frame somewhere so it's been nine ten years probably well and there's and, and i guess we should preface it on any given day and work numbers are probably down a little bit especially from the peaks that we've had around uh the movie brave and hunger games those kind of things the numbers always spike up but any given week we have 80 well let's say 70 to 100 people show up depending on it depends on what's going on depends sure on what's uh, going on the weather and the weather is a big factor obviously a little bit of rain uh will keep people in the house uh, uh cold doesn't seem to bother them you know january february time frame if it's decent weather in january february now january maybe not so much because deer season hadn't ended right by the time we have our first shoot in in january so people are still out trying to kill a deer but February, if it's a pretty day in February, the, the first Sunday of the month, buddy, they'll be here on horseback. They and, will. Uh, we, we have some of our biggest crowds there, but now, in recent memory, that's been our smallest crowd. Last year, we had an ice storm uh, on shoot day, and we had 17 people here. I thought it was 14. 17. 17 people. Yep. I knew it was a, I was here. I knew it was yeah, a low you number. And I was too. I stayed right by that <laughs> fireplace over there. I actually shot the core. I did not. Uh, <laughs> I remember it was funny because 
it was when we got here it was still it was a misty it was. freezing rain yes it was um and i remember i didn't go out on the course until it stopped and as you walk through the course it was ice falling everywhere so it was a short-lived thing but we right. did have a pretty poor turnout it was a poor crowd but i'll tell you what the folks that show that showed up that day are the diehard core guys in this club i think and we had a we had a good time yep we had a good time yep and i'm a, I, and I should say, it probably seems like I've known you longer than that, because I know I've been coming up here longer than that. Um, going into this this season will be my 18th season hunting on, only with traditional mm -hmm. gear. Um, and I started coming up here probably a year after I really started devoting myself to the you know shooting a traditional gear. Um, the woods have changed since then. A lot of things have changed since well, then, yeah. but yes, the woods have changed since then. It was a lot more open up it, here. It then. was, uh, but anyway, it's a it's it's a fantastic club for mm -hmm. those that are listening. If you're if you're within driving distance of Gainesville, Georgia, we have a shoot the first Sunday of every month, unless it conflicts with a major holiday. Um, we set the course on Saturday. We shoot all day on Sunday. We pull the courses after everybody's done. So you can basically show up and start shooting at nine. You can shoot till three o'clock when we start right. pulling targets. That's our hard stop. So um, if you've never shot here before, your first shoot is free. And if you want to, uh, if you want to join, it's twenty bucks, twenty-five, twenty-five, twenty-five for life, basically. Right. But but is. most people come up and they 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 kick in twenty-five dollars every year just to they support do. the club. They do. The $25 one-time payment uh, gets you a membership card, and it's a family membership, so I'll write out a card for every member of the family. Right. And uh, not that that card will get you anything, really, uh, because you don't have to present it to get the member rate when you come to shoot. You just got to, are you a member? Yes, yep. that's good enough for me. And, and We don't check the books. We don't look at the books, no. <laughs> In fact, I don't know where to find the books to check, so... But uh, it, it's it is a great club, and, and we've had some some folks come come here, and uh, you, you know you make lifelong friends at places mm -hmm. like this, and and doing things like this, and uh, I, I got some folks that I'm close friends with that I wouldn't know had it not been for this club, same, and I wouldn't have found this club had it not been for the stupid internet. Yep. Um, I was looking on a uh, local outdoor forum. I say local, it's a state uh, magazine, uh, outdoor magazine that's published here. And I found about about NGTA on, on that forum. And I thought, man, that looks interesting. And actually, one summer, we had a cookout down at the headquarters of that particular magazine. It's G-O-N, Georgia Outdoor mm -hmm. News Magazine. Yep. They're headquartered in Madison, Georgia, and we had a cookout, a picnic, and uh, uh, another one of our members, longtime members and close friend, Al Chapman, uh, showed up, and Al is, is a guy that is an ambassador for, for traditional archery. He really is. He, he owned more bows <laughs> than he needed, yeah. and some of them in light draw weights so that he could carry them places, and he had arrows to match the bows, and Anybody that wanted could shoot, and he'd, he'd put a coffee cup out there and give you an arrow with a judo point and tell you to have at it. And I never will forget, I, I didn't shoot uh, to begin with. A lot of people out there shooting, I'm just watching. 
because I was tending my, my, my Dutch ovens. I was cooking some uh, food for the picnic on site and uh, I was having to mine my ovens and I couldn't get away to, to, to shoot. So after we finished eating, Al said, does anyone else want to shoot the bow before I put them away? I said, you know what, I, I think I'd like to. I, I haven't done it since I was a kid, I, I'd like to try. He put a Bear Montana in my hand, I think a 45 or 50 pound draw weight. And Al's left-handed, he hit, shoots left-handed, and, and this was a right-hand bow. He, he, that's that crazy Al is, he's <laughs> got bows that he can't even shoot to let other folks do right. it. So he put that bow in my hand in, the, in an air with a judo point or a blunt, I don't remember which, and, and uh, put that coffee cup out there, that styrofoam uh, racetrack coffee cup. And uh, I shot the first time and missed. The second time I hit the cup and, and I felt Al set the hook, and, and that was it. I was I was hung. I had a bow within a month, and uh, doing the best I could to teach myself how to do that. And that's when I found this place. I had to get other people to help me learn that right. that trick. So, but it's worked out real well over the years for me. I have uh, fallen in love with this place, uh, and it, it ain't a piece of ground necessarily. Although it's a nice piece of ground. Uh, you fall in love with the with the people and the atmosphere and the camaraderie and the fellowship that you have every time you come and and of course certain people stand out in that they mm -hmm. will you're gonna uh, be drawn to certain folks and and uh, there's some strong personalities let, yeah, to say the least <laughs> there are and 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 that's a good thing because we we kind of feed off each other we a do. lot of the time and yep. and folks give as good as they take and and we just enjoy one of those company. And then we, uh, you and I really got to know each other. Um, I know you've been doing it longer than I have. And we talked about before we started, started recording, talking about the, the history of the club and so forth. And might try to pull some other people up here together one time, sometime in the future and talk about some of that. But without going into that, you've been, you've been instrumental in setting the course up here for many years. Um, and I, I jumped in and started helping. I don't even remember how long. It's been several years now that, that you know, I try to make it up here every Saturday. Uh, had a few exceptions that just couldn't be avoided, but for the most part, um, here we've got some we got some other good folks that, that show up and help. We and do. Do. Uh, usually on the tear down after the shoot, people hang out. And, yep. uh, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, even setting the course, I think, is fun. And, and you know, there's, uh, you've become somewhat Notorious, infamous, uh, infamous. infamous. Yeah, that's a good infamous. Word. That's right, a good word. Because right. um, we we tend to now. There's there's always some some chip shots, mm -hmm. um, but typically we have a good mix of some pretty safe but difficult shots on the course. Right. Um, some people don't like that too much. That's right. Some don't. Uh, but if you if it, it, most of you, most hunting situations are not going to be perfectly broadsided at a long distance with nothing in the way, and and I think we let our desire and our love for bow hunting creep into our our target placement sometimes. But we do. Uh, but I tell you what, even those difficult shots, whenever you're, and I know you do this too, as you're walking through, as you're shooting the course, if you're sitting up here, you know, at the at the meeting area, and you're listening to people shoot the hooting and the hollering and the the ribbing and the cheering, I mean, it, you just, you can't beat it. It's its infectious just to sit up here and listen to the people that's out on the course. It, it is, and, and uh, you know, they've gotten to where 
the folks that know me have gotten to where they don't complain about the setups at all <laughs> because they know if they do it'll probably get worse so yeah we try to we try to make it real uh, we, we use a lot of quarter and away stuff try not to do quarter and toward because that's just not something we're going to take uh, on a live animal but but a lot of quarter and away stuff and sometimes it's hard quartering away mm -hmm. uh, we try to keep deflections down if, if a deflection is possible we'll we'll move a stake or readjust the target or something but but the fun of it to me and I, I hope it's fun for everybody. It wouldn't be fun to come up here and shoot a perfect score. You know, if you shot all tens, which is what we do, we, we don't use a, a, a true IBO right. scoring system. We, we stop with the 10 ring. We, we count the 10, we count the eight, and of course, outside the kill zone is a five. Um, but, but that's it. And, but if somebody comes up here and shoots a perfect score on a course, what fun is that? I mean, it's 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 not a challenge to that person. Uh, now, the, obviously, the skill levels uh, of the folks that come here are, are pretty broad. But it's a wide sure, range. Sure, sure. Right. We have uh, folks that are coming up here. They found us on Facebook or or on the forum or whatever, and and they're coming here for their first time. Uh, and we've had some this year that they don't yet own a bow, and and they're in the market and. Fact that there's a fella coming if he makes it next next shoot, which is uh, uh, first weekend in June, uh, he'll he'll uh, he'll be shooting everything I own because he's a big fella. He he can handle the draw weight, I think, and and uh, the loner bows that we keep here, uh, the max draw weight's like 30 pounds, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> he shoots that with great ease, and and uh, he he's looking to buy a bow. And I, I told him, I said, I'll tell you, I'll bring everything I got. You can shoot it all. I, I don't care. You take it with you on the course. You can shoot it standing up in, at the practice range. Whatever you want to do, we'll be fine. Uh, his, his son is kind of hooked also, and that's what's got him in it. The whole family comes. Uh, you know, two kids and mom and dad, they all come. Right. And that's what we're after up here. That's what we're about. We want to try to be inclusive and have the whole family here. We try to make it family friendly. Uh, not a whole lot of rough language uh, up here at the campsite, the camp area, but <laughs> down in the woods, I can't speak for that. But and it just depends on your company, I reckon. But uh, we, and that setup try, crew can get carried away. Well, sometimes. you know, we can, but but we expect that of one another, you know. But uh, we have a good time setting up. We try to. Sometimes it's we get to the point where we're trying to one up each other, right? In the setup and say, "How you like that one? Oh, I love it. I love it." And, and we know better than to say anything, but I love it because, like I say, it could get worse. <laughs> yeah. It could get worse. There's some stories. There we, can't, we can't get into them, but there's that, some that, stories. That's right. That's right. But, but we try to make it a, a fun uh, <laughs> event for every member of the family. If you don't particularly care to shoot from the stake that's, that's put out, and we put out two stakes at every shoot except our championship shoot in August. This is a non-competitive thing. We got scorecards and pencils and, and encourage people to keep score if they'd like, but I don't think most do. Uh, until the, the championship. Until the championship. And, and then we keep scoring. We actually give, uh, we have, uh, I think it's nine classes, mm -hmm. and, and we give awards for the top <laughs> shooter in each of nine classes. So it, it, gets, it gets pretty serious pretty quickly come August. 
but in August the sweat's in your eyes so bad down here it'll you can always blame it on and on, we on that. and we rain in the target placement a little bit for we do shape. a little bit we yeah. we we're not as is uh radical radical is a good <laughs> word i was i was thinking liberal but that's a bad <laughs> word to use uh yeah we're not as radical with it we we we're still gonna do quartering away uh because that's real yep uh, that's what you're looking for uh, come September. But before people get the wrong picture in our head, and we, we're very adamant about this, two things. Everybody shoots the same target. That's right. So if it's, if it's a difficult shot, unless you just pass it and take the zero, everybody mm -hmm. shoots the same target. Mm -hmm. And we try really, really hard. I'm not going to say we haven't had exceptions where we just, you know, maybe somebody's left-handed and we didn't think about a left-handed shot, that kind of thing. But there's always an open path to the vitals. That's correct. Um, now, what gets you is that tree that's just outside that open path that you sit there and stare at right before you let that arrow go is going to bite you. Or that vine. Or that vine. Or, or whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, I, I, and I'm sure you'd have some people that would differ from that. Uh, and, you know, uh, Actually, the only time, and I, I do want to mention this, folks. If you're listening, you're going to hear road noise. You're going. We had a jet fly over. We're outside. We're having fun. It's probably about 87, 88 degrees right now, so it's a little warm, but it's uh, it's nice outside. So there is going to be a little bit of background, but you also get the birds and the crickets and so forth as well to go with that. But back to what I was saying, the only the only setup that I can recall you missing since that I started doing this was back in Easter. That's right and this year and me and and ted and mr clark the other guys that helped set the course on a regular basis we actually joked about it before we started we said we were going to make it the easiest course anybody had ever seen hmm. just so we could say well gene wasn't here right. and that lasted about three targets i was going to say because <laughs> that one antelope that antelope down behind that pine tree that and nice. have you seen that pine tree mm -hmm. there's more holes in it and all people had to do was stoop down to one knee Right, right. Fire right under it. But if you fired from a standing position, you will go hit that pine tree. Well, the funny thing about that particular setup, I use that <coughs> uh, that target presentation as the uh, photograph. Yes, you did for the next shoot, and I had a guy come at us. <laughs> well, he didn't come at us. He he responded immediately on Facebook said, "If that pine tree is still in the way, <laughs> I'm bringing my chainsaw." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got one in my golf bag. Let me bring my golf bag, and you can you, you uh, use it. But, that's too funny. Yeah, we 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 we're uh, well known for that. But I, I got to tell you, we came by it honestly, or I did at least. I, I'm a bad influence on some people, maybe up here. I think <laughs> that y'all have kind of caught on to it. But uh, where I learned how to set targets was uh, following Dan Beckwith around. Uh, folks, probably anybody in Georgia knows who Dan Beckwith is. Hatchet Bow Dan is his nickname, that's his Facebook, uh, well, I don't know about Facebook, that's his email right. uh, ID and all this good stuff, but but uh, he, he makes a lot of self bows, and uh, he uses a hand axe for most of it, and that's how he got his nickname, but I kind of learned how to set targets in a devious way from him. Uh, I give him full credit. At but, state uh, shoot or at, at? Yeah, yeah. It was mostly state shoot. Yeah. Uh, we, we'd go to the TBG state shoot, and TBG is traditional bow hunters of Georgia. And we have three shoots a year currently, and have for ever since I've been a member. And we have a couple of zone shoots, and then we have the state shoot. And uh, that's where I kind of got taught how to <laughs> set targets. 
So if you want to blame anybody, you got to keep going upstream and you'll find Dan Beckwith. And you know what's funny is I don't think I've ever set a course with Dan. Um, the only one I've come close to is the central zone shoot that we have. Um, I think he's been there when we were setting targets before. He's but, there every time. But I, I don't remember. I don't remember actually say, You know what? The only time I made it down for that was that year that I had, I had, I had been out to Seattle and caught the flu out there, and it just about killed me. Hmm. And I actually went out there to set up, and I probably was absolutely no help whatsoever because I, I, I didn't have much energy at all at the time. But um, I had some. we've had some really good times, and I think yes, we've sir. got some really good times still ahead of us, too. But, I hope so. Uh, We've been we've been rattling on about this. I'm sure people were, yeah. Well, I'm not in Georgia, but I, here's the message that I would say again: if you're within driving distance, and we've got people that that drive several hours to get here on right. several times a year, um, highly recommend you come out here and join us. If it's out of your reach or out of your driving distance, find the local club in your area. I've visited other local clubs. Gene, I know you've visited mm-hmm. other local clubs. They're all going to have a lot of these same qualities. And as we were talking a few weeks ago on the podcast, support your local clubs. Yeah, I mean, no. you, you just you have to do it because uh, yeah. there's a lot of good things here. It's that, not just the archery. It's the that's community. Right. That's it's right. it's so much. That's right. You never know who you're going to meet at a, at a traditional bow shoot. Right. And, and like I said earlier, I've got some friends that I'll have for the rest of my days mm-hmm. that I've met through traditional archery, and I'm... I feel good about that. That's that's a good thing for me. Uh, I had a friend years ago that used to say, a man can never have too many friends. And uh, he was right about that. But uh, yeah, your local club is, is, is critical to your growth in the sport, I think. Uh, and if you're not a target shooter, that's, that's fine. I understand that. Uh, I, I know some people who are not target shooters. They, they'll, they'll come right out and say it. I don't care for it. I, I, I just not my cup of tea. I'd rather hunt. If I got time to spend three hours doing something, I want to spend three hours actually hunting. And I get that. But, uh, you know, you can fine tune your craft sure. pretty effectively at a place like this. And, and uh, you know, if, if you don't have a place that's close to you, start talking. Maybe you need one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about three hours three and a half hours down the road is another club here in georgia the south georgia traditional uh, and primitive skills club and and they they lean more toward the primitive side of archery they're building bows and and making arrows and Mm -hmm. and uh, then shooting those things on their course and of course there's a lot of uh, a lot of other folks too that, that don't care a whit about building a bow or in some areas but they're they're down there doing their thing right. and while all that other stuff's going on and, and but they they didn't exist uh seven eight years ago right and and so uh as luck would have it they were able to come up with some targets and and uh started having events and the thing's self-perpetuating now it's 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 on a roll so and some really good people down absolutely. there absolutely Absolutely, and a lot of them come up here, and a lot of us go down there. So it's it's in, a good thing. In fact, this this past shoot, we had a a, a big group from down there we did. Uh, that came up here. And in fact, you mentioned Dan. Uh, I actually talked to Dan. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out a way to get him on the podcast. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna try to make a trip down there, or maybe coordinate knowing he's coming up here and, mm-hmm. and record one. But yeah, he's uh, 
he's kind of quiet, so I think it'll be a challenge to get him talking. But I think once you pull that cord, I think it, 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 it you might have to tell him, well, we're going to have to come back because we're still going. You get him talking on a subject he's comfortable with, like yep. building Osage bows or hickory bows, <clears throat> either one, and he'll he'll talk to you. He's a napper. Yep. Uh, he, he builds cane arrows. He, he does it all. Uh, and and uh, he can teach you how to do it. He not only can show you how, he can teach you how, and, and you'll be doing it yourself shortly. I'm lucky I got one that he made in the house. He, he, so gave, he yeah. gave Bella one years and years ago, and she shot it up here for quite a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, anyway, let's, uh, so we're gonna kind of drift into the, the topic we originally discussed doing this thing on now that we've rambled away for uh, 20, 30 minutes on, on this club, which is definitely a, a great conversation. Um, so we were talking before we started recording, uh, trying to get our, our, our story straight on when you and I first met and so forth. And I, I do know that I first learned of you through um, uh, Trad Gang. Mm -hmm. And I know that you were you you did send out a lot of private messages, and you posted a lot in the the local clubs forum on Trad Gang about this this organization, and uh, and Gon, yep. the same thing. So I kind of knew about you even before I knew you because of that. Internet's uh, a funny thing that way, isn't it? It is, and, and you know I've had a lot of people tell me the same thing, right? Because I've got the same ID on both of them. But your 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 handle, your ID on both of those websites always kind of I thought it was kind of kind of interesting that your 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 handle is the Dutchman not V it's just well Dutchman. it's just Dutchman right right, right. Um, so different than uh, Davy Jones but, correct but still <laughs> correct but still Dutchman Dutchman that's right and that goes to your love which you actually already mentioned earlier of of cooking with Dutch ovens outdoors and that's, right. that's a I will say I think it's probably a bit of a lost art, but at the same time, I know you and I have talked about this before, and I, I don't know how much you do either way, but I know a lot of what you do in a Dutch oven, you take a little bit more of a modern or a simplistic approach as far as cooking. So before we get into that, um, just some of the basics here. Now, when you when you typically cook in a Dutch oven, are you digging a hole and burying it with the coals, or are you cooking outside of that? Do you do both? Just I have never dug a hole in the ground and put a Dutch oven in it. Okay. So that answers that. <laughs> uh, I'm an above ground cooker, you know. Uh, I guess if I had an opportunity to cook in a cave, I might do it, but uh, uh, carbon monoxide would be kind of tough down there. But anyway, now it's all above ground. Uh, now, with that said, uh, I have had in my past, well, in my youth, an experience with what's called a bean hole. Now, I learned about a bean hole in the Scouts. I, I spent a number of years in the Boy Scouts, and I'm an Eagle Scout, and I worked on the camp staff for a number of years at our local uh, camp. And I learned about bean hole cooking through the Scouts, and, and uh, it, it, you dig a hole, you line the hole with, uh, with rock, uh, non, explosive rock, can't be sandstone or anything mm -hmm. like that, it's got to be a good rock. Um, and then you put heat to that and you burn a fire in it, burn it down and, and, and let the rocks get good and hot. And then you add to that and then you put your oven in and then you fill it with dirt. Uh, of course the lid's going to keep any dirt out of the oven. You leave the bale upright so you can 
locate it precisely when you start trying to uncover. And after several hours, uh, you, you uncover your, your, your Dutch oven and open it up and, and have at it, whatever you're cooking. And you can cook a lot of things in a bean hole other than beans. Uh, it got its name from cooking dried beans, which have to cook for a while mm -hmm. to, to get tender. Right. Uh, but uh, you, can, you can do other things in there as well. Um, one of my favorite things to cook, it's very easy to do in a Dutch oven, is a, is a pork butt. Uh, Boston butt, you know, get a, uh, a good piece of meat, get, put a good rub on it, your favorite rub, and and then put it in there. Now, it's not going to taste smoky when you bring it out because it's not exposed to hickory smoke right. inside that Dutch oven. Uh, but you can use liquid smoke inside that oven and, and get a, uh, I'll call it an artificial smoke flavor. It's not really artificial, but uh, you can get it. Uh, as long as you put an ample amount of liquid in anything you're cooking, you don't have to worry too much about burning. Right. Uh, the, the cast iron that's available to us today uh, is, is of such good quality that the heat distribution is, is superb. Uh, it really does, they, those ovens really do a nice job now. You can get some ovens that are produced overseas that the castings are not as good and they might develop hot spots right where stuff can burn and you'll know that soon enough but if you can even with a an oven that came from overseas if you'll just do a few little things you can you can cook anything without worry about burning uh, most stuff is going to burn on the bottom it's going to stick to the pot and it'll burn on the bottom so watch your bottom heat the other thing you need to watch is your liquid level inside the oven if you're cooking with liquid. Now, if you're baking potatoes or something like that, obviously there's no mm -hmm. liquid there, so you've you got to be careful. But right. what you do in that case is try to elevate whatever you're cooking off the bottom of the oven so that it doesn't come in direct contact with mm -hmm. the cast iron. Uh, a small, round cake rack is a great way to keep whatever you're cooking up off the bottom. It, it, it gets a little space between the cast iron and, and the bottom of the food. Uh, so the hot air is what's cooking it. The hot air is cooking it. Right. It's just like your oven at home. Sure. When, you, when you hear the word Dutch oven, think about your oven at home. Anything you can cook in your oven at home, cakes, pies, I don't care what it is, casseroles, uh, any kind of meat dish, whatever it may be, you can cook that successfully, superbly in a Dutch oven. Uh, and food's always better when it's cooked outside. Anyway, everybody knows that. It's scientific fact. So, uh, but you got to watch those. You won't get Lori to buy in on that, but well, I'm with you. Well, I understand. Uh, yeah, I know Lori. I, that's all I'll say. Lori's Lori's a good gal. But uh, it's 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 the, the sky's the limit, really, on mm -hmm. what you can cook. And and you can buy cookbooks off the internet that are just filled with recipes. Some complicated some just as easy as they can be and 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 you can you can have people marveling at the flavor that that you are able to get out of the food that you cook in a dutch oven simply because it, it is good number one and because they can't believe you did it with charcoal uh, in, in an iron pot but but there's some stuff that that folks need to, to remember about it nowadays we're blessed you know uh the good old days, we talk about that from time to time in, in, in different uh, contexts, but uh, for, for cast iron, 
cookware, the good old hater right now because right. preseason stuff, ooh, it's the way to go. Uh, gone are the days when you have to worry about seasoning your pot before you can use it. And, and so you can buy one, take it home, wash it with soap and water, and then use it the same day. And, right. and that's great. Uh, uh, Unless you do silly, stupid things like me and get it too hot and cook the seasoning out of it, and then you got to reseason it over, which I have done. That's possible. Um, I have done that before. Well, everybody has. That's yeah. that's. There's no shame in that. It's just. Uh, uh, it's it's just it just happens. But uh, it, it's it's really easy, and you don't ever need as much. I say ever. Never say that, right? You, you hardly ever need as much heat as you think you would. Mm -hmm. uh, a little a little charcoal goes a long way. Now cooking with wood is a bit more interesting. Uh, it's more difficult to control the heat, but you can control the heat very carefully with charcoal briquettes. Which, which in some ways is the reason for digging a hole and burying right. if you're gonna be using wood, because you're not really using the wood, you're using the coals, That's and right. you need the, the earth to insulate it so that it holds that heat long enough to cook. Well, those coals are not gonna burn long. If you think right. about it, that's why you line with rocks and, and uh, once you put the dirt to it and, and get the air supply knocked down, now they'll they'll be hot for a long smolder, time, right? right? And and but but that thing really needs air to go, and and uh, it's it's going to be getting cooler as you progress mm -hmm. in time. So that's why it's so great to have a, a, a Dutch oven handy when you're hunting in the evening. Right. Uh, you can you can uh, put a stew on and and put the coals to it and walk away and not have to worry because if it's a stew full of liquid anyway and the cast iron is going to hold the heat it's not going to burn because of the liquid it, it's it's not going to overcook uh, but it'll be just about right time you get back after dark and and uh, provided you don't wait too long now if you've got a deer to clean or whatever then maybe you're eating cold stew but uh, right. it eats up real real quick and, and there's a, several different topics that I, I do want to touch on in fact and I'd like to at least pick your brain on, on one or two recipes that you could throw out that somebody that's just wanting to start this might want to try but let's talk about a couple of different things when it comes to dutch ovens um and some of this i know um probably more from reading than necessarily from doing most of my experience with a dutch oven has been pretty basic it's you know uh setting a dutch oven close enough to the campfire that the radiant heat is cooking what's in it which works great for chili and stuff mm -hmm. like that again when you got a liquid you don't have to worry about it burning those kind of things um, but do you do you typically use um, try to do even distribution on your coals where you're cooking from the bottom and the top? Do you do more from the top down? Does it depend? Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on some of that. Okay, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, if you're cooking a stew, you need very little top heat. Uh, now I use it, but I don't use as much top heat with a, a stew or something like that right uh, as I do when I'm baking uh, it, I want to kind of make a uh, distinction between a couple of different types of oven uh, a, a, a shallow sided oven uh, let's say that the sides are three three and a half inches high mm -hmm. that's what we call a bread oven that's a baking oven it's you need very little headspace if you're trying to brown something on top and try to truly right. bake it. So so you need the, the the shorter walls. 
a, a higher sided oven, four inches or greater, depending on the diameter of the thing. Usually about four inches, I think, or four and a half is standard, but that's, that's what we call a meat oven. And that's what I'll cook my butts in, and, and you cook a beef roast in there, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, I cook stews in ovens like that as well. Uh, usually when I'm using my meat ovens, I'm cooking for a crowd anyway. Uh, but, but if you're baking, it, it, you'll, 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 it's hard to get it good and brown, as brown as you might want it, if you're using a deep-sided oven, a meat right. oven. Right. To the cold. Again, that airspace thing. That's right. You need that, that, that head space, uh, or lack thereof, is, is critical uh, to, the, to the proper cooking of a, of a baked item. Mm. The uh, question about the coals. Uh, if I'm cooking uh, something that has a lot of liquid in it, I don't mind really stoking the bottom of that thing and getting it good and hot and bringing whatever inside uh, to a boil. Sure. I don't mind that a bit. Uh, I'll use a little top heat in those cases as well, but uh, mostly it's bottom. Now, uh, you can cook, and they actually sell uh, ovens with flange lids that have no legs. Uh, you, you know, they're built for a stovetop or built to hang on the chain on yep. a tripod over a fire, but you can put coals on that. Now, the domed lid stuff, that's strictly a a stovetop kind it, of thing. But at that point, it's not really a Dutch oven. It's more of a pot. Well, it, it is. Right. It, it is, but uh, yeah, it's not an oven. You're right. That's the key. <clears throat> but uh, uh, let's say 350 degrees is the, the, is the temperature you're trying to reach. And, and uh, you know, that's probably the most popular baking temperature there is for just about any recipe. But uh, typically eight to 10 coals on bottom and I'll do a full ring around the top, however many briquettes mm -hmm. that is. You get about 10 to 15 degrees, depending on what you read and where you read it, of, of heat from each charcoal briquette. So you can do the math. It's gonna take, uh, if, it's, if, it's, if it's 10 degrees per briquette, it's gonna take 35 to reach that magic number. Obviously, if it's 15, it's less. Now, you're gonna lose heat as you go. I mean, sure. it's, it's, it's not building heat. Let's face it, it's losing heat. So uh, I put usually eight, maybe 10 on bottom, and then I'll do a full ring on a 12-inch oven around the top. I'll do an interior ring around the handle mm -hmm. of the oven to get good heat distribution on top if I really am baking. Uh, and, and I'll get that 350 temperature pretty easily like that. Uh, the other thing you need to remember is to get even heat distribution throughout the cooking process. Uh, 15 minutes in, I'll take my, uh, well, if I'm using gloves or a hook or whatever it is, I'll rotate the oven itself a quarter turn in one direction, let's say counterclockwise. I'll then rotate the lid a quarter turn in the opposite direction so that I can get even cooking throughout mm -hmm. the, the oven and throughout the dish. And it, that helps a lot. And if you're, you, you kind of watch and do that every 15 minutes. Now, that's not critical on something that's, again, like a lot of liquid in it, it doesn't right, matter right. a bit. But if you're trying to get consistent baked quality, you know. You're trying to cook something like a casserole or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. something needs to bake good through, you know, then you need to turn, you need to twist and turn uh, the, the oven and the lid. 
uh, and you'll be happy with the results if you'll do that. Uh, again, I can't stress enough the need to get some space between the bottom of the oven and whatever it is you're cooking. I use uh, aluminum pie pans mm -hmm. a lot uh, for, for holding items in place up off the bottom. Turn them upside down, set them up. I, I will, mm -hmm. I will. Or I'll use that cake rack I was talking mm -hmm. about and you use them right side up. Now, you can put the liquid under the pan and it doesn't intrude on the food. Right. If you're cooking meat or whatever, it doesn't get on the food and that's what you want. You, you, you want, you know, a lot of people will uh, use broth, chicken or beef broth. A lot of people will use uh, just water a lot of time. Some people will, uh, uh, you know, Coca-Cola is a great thing to use. It, it imparts a little bit of a flavor, a little sweetness, but uh, people will use beer and, and cook meats steamed right. in whatever it is inside. And, and that's, that's effective. It, it imparts some flavor, so that, that's a pretty good thing to do. But um, the heat, you know, you got to kind of watch. Count your briquettes. Uh, you know, I use a charcoal chimney to get them started. And, uh, Try to get them all good and good and going before I uh, put the fire to the to the oven. But uh, and if it's something's going to take a long time to cook, I go ahead and start my second chimney pretty quick after I get that first one deployed, so that uh, I'll be ready when the time comes uh, to add heat. Uh, and you only have to do that with something's going to take a long time to cook, like a pork butt or a right. beef roast or something like that. But basically, once you once you have the formula for the number of briquettes that you're going to need to reach a certain temperature, then you just need to do, I'm, I'm assuming there's some, some calculations, but there's also a little bit of guesswork in how long I keep it at that temperature by adding additional briquettes. That's right. <clears throat> um, and then you just basically let things die down. It'll keep it warm for you until you're ready to eat. Correct. Uh, if it's a meat item, a meat thermometer is a great thing to have. Sure. Uh, and that, that goes for, you know, poultry especially. Uh, one of my favorite things to cook uh, was Cornish game hens. And I would, I would put them in an aluminum pan. I would uh, inject the hens with uh, uh, some sort of a, a bottled, store-bought seasoning. Right. Uh, I prefer Tony Satchery's Creole butter, to be honest. That's that's the one I like the best. But I would inject. You like things. Tony stuff because you reckon Tony Satchery. That's uh, <laughs> he was. You know, he he got his start as a hunting camp cook yeah. down in the Opelousas, Louisiana area. You told so, me about that stuff a while back, and I went and bought the smallest little container I had I could find, and it didn't last no time. And now I've got one of the I don't know. It looks like a quart size because I just cover. I wish they everything sold that stuff on the five-gallon bucket. I'd buy it. I guarantee you. <laughs> I eat that on everything but ice cream, but uh, and cold cereal. I don't mm. much like it on cold cereal, but <laughs> uh, it is a wonderful seasoning mix for uh, just about anything. It's great on salads. Great on any meat you can think of. It's great on vegetables. Fish is wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah. Pork chops. Uh, yeah. If you season the pork chops with Tony Sachery before you put them to the to the grill, uh, you will you will have top quality, restaurant quality pork coming off of your grill in, a, in about 20 minutes. It is, it's, the stuff is wonderful. But anyway, uh, I've lost my train of thought. That's man. all right. We're going to talk about food, man. That's going to happen. You're going to have to help me. I, I, I've lost it. But 
We were talking about the as far as the, the timing and yeah. and Cornish game hands. I'd I'd inject those things. I'd put the the, the Tony Satchery's uh, seasoning on mm -hmm. the outside of those things after I rubbed them a little bit with olive oil, and then put them in that pan, arrange them in that aluminum pan, put them on that little cake uh, rack that's right. inside. Now, short of having that cake rack, yes, you can invert the aluminum pan and then put another one on top of that to keep get that space. You can use uh, bottle caps. Take oh, the plastic yeah. out of the bottle cap now, and it'll burn the paint off of them, but that's okay. You, you put we're talking about metal bottle caps, yes, metal <laughs> bottle caps, not plastic. Or rocks. If you can right. find some rocks about the same size, it's going to hold that up and hold it pretty level. You can use rocks. Uh, probably one of the better things that's, that I've come across in the last several years are Dutch oven liners. Uh, they're parchment paper cut to fit, mm -hmm. and uh, they do a wonderful job when it comes time to clean up. Uh, uh, don't get ahead of me because yeah. I was going there. Okay. All right, I won't. I was going to ask you if you use so. Um, what about um, what about aluminum foil mm -hmm. to keep stuff out of your? I mean, I've seen people do it both mm -hmm. ways. You know, some no, that's why the lid's fixed the way it is. You can't get anything in there if you take the lid off right and all that. But look, just, uh, and the stuff's not cheap. I mean, there's good uh, good cast iron stuff out there, but right. it it it's pricey. It is. Um, and I, I use my stuff, but at the same time, as long as I can keep it looking like it did when I brought it out of the box, mm -hmm. I like doing that. So I, I typically, what little I do is I, I do use aluminum foil. It makes clean up real um, easy. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about the liners, but I want to I want to okay. say that. And I, uh, you're talking about your favorites. My favorites, are, uh, I love doing cobblers. The cobblers are good, and they're um, easy. They're yeah. so easy. And people just ooh and ah and take on, and it's, it's just the easiest thing in the world uh, to do a... a what we call a dump cobbler, a lazy cobbler, and all it is is a, a box of cake mix. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you don't do chocolate or anything mm -hmm. like that, you, but but stick with the vanilla, or even maybe a lemon uh, flavored cake mix, and uh, you dump that in on top of whatever fruit you pick, and and the fruit probably needs some liquid in it. Uh, using fresh fruit is fine, mm -hmm. but you probably are better off making a simple syrup to right. pour in there on top of that fruit because yep. you're going to need the liquid. Uh, that's going to help you bake that. It's going to wet the, the, the cake mix is what mm -hmm. it's going to do for you. Uh, but, but for a peach cobbler, there's plenty of liquid in the canned peaches uh, to, to do that with. And, and I use the sliced ones. I don't use the halves. Right. It's a little too big, but uh, get those those sliced peaches and and uh, you know I don't know from sizes. I know I know what a number ten can is, mm -hmm. but but some of those bigger cans I don't know what number they give them. But uh, it's it's about three or four of those good sized cans of peaches. Uh, cake mix on top of that. I'll take about a half of a twelve ounce can of Sprite. Or cream soda, or ginger ale. Wow! And put my thumb over the opening and kind of drizzle mm -hmm. that liquid on top of the cake mix, and then I put butter. Uh, stick butter is better, but if you got nothing but something in a tub, that's fine. And I said butter. I, I didn't say margarine. Right. Uh, folks that are still eating margarine, 
need to get on my bandwagon and listen to my doctor, uh, the margarine's worse for you than the butter is. I read something the other day that said something to the effect of it was one molecule away from being plastic. That's, or that's about the size of it. It was not good for you. No, but but put those pats of butter around and just be be real generous with the butter. Okay. Now that's that's where I quit. I put the lid on and I cook at that point. Uh, I got a buddy that puts cinnamon to it, and mm -hmm. it's good that way too. Yep. It's great. Um, but you cook that for about 45 minutes, and you're turning the lid, you're turning mm -hmm. the, the, the oven to make sure that you don't. Or you're going to get some hot spots burn. no matter yeah. what you do. And that's going to that's right. going to take care of your hot spots. If you'll if you'll rotate that lid, rotate yep. that oven, you'll take care of your hot spots. The liquid's going to help you, but but a lot of the liquid cooks into the cake mix and makes a nice dough. Uh, and and man, I so I got to try that one. I used to it's do easy. one, and I don't remember all of the. I'd have to go back and look. I've got it somewhere, but it used um, canned biscuits. Yeah, very similar yeah. thing. But I'll be honest. I don't know if you, you know, Lori brings a cobbler up here several times a a, a, a season, mm -hmm. um, and her little recipe is so simple. And I just literally said one day, it, it's got to work just as good. In a, a, and basically, all you do with it is, you take all your ingredients and you just put it in the in your pot, whatever you're going or pan or whatever you're doing, and then you pour the um, a can of uh, whatever fruit you want, your peaches, mm -hmm. whatever. You pour that in the middle with a, I think it's a melted stick of butter. Mm. Pour it right in the middle, and that's it. Yep. And it, as it cooks, it does what you it just yep. distributes out. And it wets the ingredients. That yep. heat pushes those that liquid into the stuff. to the outside. And it's right. wonderful. It, it, it's, it, 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 it's easy. It's so easy. You don't have to break any eggs. You don't have to mix anything. I, I used to do it the the, the hard way. Uh, before I learned the easier way, I would mix the cake mix according to the directions on the box and pour it in. That's just that's just a waste of time. It and, does it and, for you. Yeah. Yep. It's automatic. Yeah, it does it for you. Um, so you mentioned the liners, um, and obviously that plays into this next one. And then I want to save a little bit of time to go over a few of your favorite recipes here. But so what about cleanup? How do you typically go about, I mean, obviously if you're using liners, there's less cleanup, mm -hmm. but um, what's your typical process for cleaning up? Because I saw something year before last that I had never heard of that just took me by surprise, and I want to see if you even bring this up. So, Well, I bet I know what it's going to be, but, but here's, here's way I, the way I approach cleanup. Uh, I'll take the empty pot, the empty oven, mm -hmm. and it, these days it'll have a liner in it, and I'll pull the liner out. Now, you're going to have some, uh, some, some wet stuff, left behind uh, but it won't be cooked on right and that's 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 good news that is that is really good news uh, that's the purpose of the liner or the aluminum foil either one is it avoids having something cooked on to your surface mm -hmm. uh, so so remove the liner and then with uh, I just I just put some water in it and put it back on the heat and let it come to a boil when it comes to a boil or gets you know near that I take it off and I have a, a scrub brush, a plastic bristle mm -hmm. scrub brush that I use to go around and, and get any gunkus that might be residing down in there off of that thing. Uh, I'll take that same brush and I'll clean my lid with it. And then when I get all that cleaned off, see I, I, I'll carry a, a whisk broom, mm -hmm. a straw bristle yep. whisk broom. 
and I brush that lid. It's amazing off. how many people don't know what that is. Really anymore, well, but yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, it ain't like a it's like an old plate broom, clean mm -hmm. home plate off, but they, they don't use that anymore. They use synthetic bristles nowadays. But uh, that old broom, you can knock off the, the charcoal ash and, and you know right. whatever you you got left behind really really quickly, and uh, just take a damp paper towel really and wipe the rest of that off and it's really good to go you're not cooking on the outside of that lid right uh, you want it to look decent yeah but and then I do the same thing on the outside of the oven I try to clean the bottom I clean the, uh, the legs off a little bit and then I put it in the bag uh, I do leave uh, I, some oil in it I, I'll, I'll take a little bit of oil uh, and I'll regrease the thing uh, so it'll store uh, and I, I wipe it down really good I don't use a lot uh, because you use too much and it'll it'll build up a residue in there and it'll turn on you mm -hmm. after a while. You get kind of rancid and it's yep. not so good. Get tacky feeling. Yeah, it does. It really does. And your whole oven gets that way and that's a mess. But uh, uh, that's pretty much it for me. Now, I know people that use soap. And uh, I used to think that that was sinful behavior. Wasteful. But I have uh, adjusted my thought process a little bit as long as you don't use something like my favorite dish soap of all Dawn. of them, it's Dawn. That well, this going to take your oil out. Take that oil out. I want you to make an emulsion mm -hmm. of, of vegetable oil and water. Just just stir it up real good to where you can see that oil floating, and drop one drop of Dawn dish soap in there and watch that oil run from you. So so you don't use Dawn. Use a cheap, uh, uh, mild. Yeah, very mild. Dish soap and don't use much. Go go real real easy on that. If you've got to use soap, you know, okay. But but look, part of the part of the goodness of Dutch oven cooking is all the flavor that that thing's got in that. And cast it holds iron. in that cast iron. Yep. And it releases that stuff as it's needed. I believe that. So, uh, but but soap for some is is the way to go. And and you know what? I'm not gonna throw a rock at them if that's what they want to do that's fine as long as they don't use dawn i use a little so i do use a little soap mm -hmm. um and part of what i'm thinking about is not necessarily dutch oven so you have to distinguish that a little bit because there's cast dutch oven skillet. cooking and then you got cast iron skillets and so right. forth so i did want to clarify that and then i'll go back to it but um i'll typically use a mild whatever dish detergent i've got again as long as it's not dawn right. real light um once i get everything wiped down i'll actually sit it near campfire or yeah. some source of heat get it fully dried right. and then i'll just take just a very very low amount of, of oil on a paper towel and just mm -hmm. wipe it that's, that's all right. i'm doing it's just what you don't in fact what you really want to do is so light that within five minutes ten minutes yeah. you don't even know you did it right. it just soaks it up and it's, and the it's hot gone. oven it'll soak it up. right yep uh, and, and I should have specified, the oven still needs to be a little warm. It Not does. hot, it's, but a it's little best. warm. It's best, yeah. So it'll soak that stuff in. That's right. Um, now the one, I, this again is not technically a Dutch oven, though you can use a Dutch oven this way if you want to, but a cast iron skillet, um, we had, and this was when I was up in Michigan, We'd I, I think we'd cooked like sausage on it, something like that, a skillet, and it was just, it was bad, it was nasty. Um, and the guy reached around, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was, oh, it was kosher salt. Mm. He grabbed kosher salt and poured in that thing, mm. and then took, um, it wasn't a Brillo, but it was just like a, a, a like a sponge, like mm -hmm. a, a dish, di, a, 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 not a dish sponge, but um, I'm trying to think, it wasn't a Brillo pad, but it's one of those. Uh, Scott Bryant? 
Yeah, like a Scotch Bright, except it was the it wasn't the rough. It, it was, was the it was the non-scratch. Exactly. Scotch Bright, yeah. And he sat there and went round and round and yeah. around that thing in just a few minutes, and all that stuff come out. And he wiped it down real good. Did the same thing with the oil. Set it on heat for just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And I would have never thought about using salt. It just something it's about that's counterintuitive. It's an abrasive, yeah. On a on a piece of metal to me that it's yep. just going to cause it to rust away, but. Um, Rinse it off good. Don't leave any residue. It'll that's be right. Fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's right. It, it was. It was really kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, we have a uh, we have a couple of pieces of cast iron at the house. Uh, one's a well, it's about an eight inch skillet, and the the, the oven that the, the the pot that came with it. Uh, the company I started my career at and spent thirty five years at used to have an annual picnic. And they'd have door prizes, and and I won that stuff at the first picnic that I ever attended after I was employed by that company, and uh, didn't put it to use for a long time. But uh, both of those pieces now are used fairly regularly. Both of them look like you took a can of stove paint and painted them. They're so well seasoned. That skillet, the only thing that ever ever gets cooked in it is cornbread. That's it, nothing else. Yep. And that thing is just as pretty and slick and shiny as as it can be, and it's it, nothing sticks in it. Of course, now my wife takes great pains. We we use bacon grease and in, uh, in mm-hmm. cornbread at my house, and and uh, uh, hot bacon grease and, and cast iron made for one another. Oh yeah, I mean I grew up my 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 father's mother. That's pretty much all she ever cooked in was cast iron and. Mm-hmm. And you know, unless it was just something really, really greasy, nasty. I mean, all she did is wipe the thing out, sure. and, or and sometimes didn't even do that. He right. just sat there on the stove until the next time she needed it. Right. Well, the stuff is porous. You know, cast iron is porous, and uh, when you heat it, those pores open up, and it, it's, it's that's the beauty of it. It takes on that that finish, right. that seasoning, and it holds it uh, as long as you're good to it. And you never heard of people back then having food poisoning and all this other stuff. It just mm-hmm. Maybe they did, just didn't hear about it. <laughs> no, this, this is true. But you know, and on that subject though, I can tell you multiple times. Um, well, I've and I've said this before. I grew up on a tobacco farm, and it was. Uh, I mean, that at the time in that in that area, that was a large part of the community was tobacco farm. Yes, sir. And you know, we'd come in for lunch, and they'd they'd serve they'd serve you lunch, and and I'm talking about fried chicken and biscuits and green beans. I mean, a full spread. It wasn't a little snack. I mean, it was right, a full spread. Right. You finished eating, they'd throw a tablecloth over it, and you'd go out, and, you, and I'm talking about, you know, 70, 80, 90 degree days. Sure. Come back that afternoon, they'd throw that tablecloth off, you sit down and eat. It's cooked. And, you, I, and again, I don't ever remember hearing anybody getting sick from... Right. Nowadays, the people lose their mind. As long as it doesn't have mayonnaise in it, you can do that and get away. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, uh, believe it or not, we, we were sitting here before we started this thing saying, I don't know if we're going to have enough to talk about. Yeah, we're, we're, at a, we're around an hour, I think, now. Okay. So. <laughs> but, so I would like to, uh, and I know I posted one of these. If people go back and look on the website, some of the, the, the articles on the Traditional Outdoors website, I actually posted one of these mm-hmm. that I'm pretty sure you're going to bring up again. You betcha. Um, let's approach this from a couple of different ways. I guess the first one, what, what would you, what would be your, what you think is one of the easiest things that you can do in a Dutch oven that somebody that maybe has thought about trying a Dutch oven, never done it before, would want to jump in and, 
and and give it a shot what would what would what would you suggest that cobbler we talked about yeah it's as easy as it can be uh, I'll never forget when my daughter was a freshman in college uh, we we figured out pretty quickly as you're about to learn with your daughter <laughs> that the about the only way to get them home is to make it easy for them to bring their friends with them. Mm. So we decided that we would, uh, and it might have been a birthday or something, I don't remember the occasion, but we said, hey, you know what, Saturday night, why don't you just come on home and, and bring a bunch of your buddies with you? So she so shows up with eight or 10 of her friends. Right. And we were ready for that. She told us how many. So uh, I don't remember what we cooked it's probably burgers and dogs or something like that but i do remember what the dessert was uh, we had two desserts uh, the one didn't get hit too hard but the cobbler did and i, I fixed uh fixed cobbler in the dutch oven and and if you want to see <laughs> something disappear you put eight or 10 freshmen, college freshmen, on it, and it will disappear. And those people talked about that for years after. Now, are you cooking that with a liner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the cobbler, I, do, I use a liner. Just a liner, nothing mm -hmm. else? That's right. Not You're not lifting it off the bottom nope, or anything nope, like that? Nope. It's just a liner. I'm putting the, the parchment paper liner in. And you know what? I, I've been bitten before by what I'm about to describe. If If I like something, that's available commercially. Mm -hmm. I better buy me a lifetime supply because they'll quit making it <laughs> right, shortly. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a given. So I bought a bunch of those liners uh, over the few years that I kept seeing them. I got them at Walmart. I don't I, I don't I've not looked for them mm -hmm. because I've got plenty. Uh, but uh, it, 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 they were available at Walmart. But but it's parchment paper is all it is. So so if you could just you know cut out a big enough piece of parchment paper and work it in. That, that'll work. It fits great in a 12-inch diameter oven. 12-inch diameter? Yep. How high? Uh, about three and a half inches. It's okay. the bread oven, right? right? So I put the liner in, and then I'll, the fruit. I, my favorite cobbler, honestly, is strawberry. Really? Yeah, I buy strawberry pie filling. Now, it's not cheap. Uh, it's, it's pretty pricey compared to peaches. Sure, sure. Uh, and if you want to start out gently then start with peaches but but they sell uh, that strawberry pie filling they also got blueberry and apple and, and a bunch of other flavors but uh, the strawberry is my favorite you gotta put a little simple syrup in with it because it's pie filling after all right, it's right. gonna be a bit thick mm -hmm. and you need that liquid to work for you so I'll, I'll make some simple syrup uh, sugar and water and heat it up and let the sugar dissolve that's what that's all that is and I'll pour that in over the the berries, and I'll use like three or four cans of, of the, the pie filling, strawberry pie filling, simple syrup, box of vanilla cake mix, same thing, Sprite or a reasonable facsimile. Mountain Dew works. <laughs> now, if you want to stay awake all night, <laughs> uh, Mountain Dew works fine, but uh, Sprite works great. Uh, it adds a little sweetness to things, mm -hmm. and, it, and it wets things down in there that need wetting down. And then the butter on top, and then, you know, eight, coals on bottom and a good ring of them around the 
perimeter of the pot around the outside edge and then the inside uh, ring goes around the handle and then I'll 45 minutes and I'm turning you know and, and uh, the lid and the pot and What's the total uh, cook time? It's good. About 45 minutes. 45 minutes, yeah. you turn in every what? 10, 15? Uh, about every 10. With about that. every 10. Yeah, okay. so I'm, I'm doing four you know, complete turns. Uh, or one complete turn. Right. Uh, but but about every 10 minutes on that. But uh, yeah, after 45 minutes, it's 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 tolerable. Show sure is. All right. I'm going to have to try that one myself. That's a good one. That's, that's my favorite uh, easy thing to do. Uh, of course, the peaches are easier because you don't have to make the simple. Sure, thing. sure. Uh, and my favorite is blackberry. Yeah. In season, fresh blackberry is hard to beat. Now you nowadays, uh, you I, get, I, and that's the one. So with, when it comes to cobbler, I don't mind the store bought strawberry filling. I don't mind the peaches. Mm -hmm. I don't mind the apples. I can't stand the blackberries. And I'm I try to pick enough every year. Right. Well, I didn't pick any last year because we had a surplus the year before, and I still had some in the freezer. But if the number of blooms I've seen on blackberries oh, did make. We in for a bumper crop. Yes, we are. We are in for a bumper crop, I and mean, I'm hoping every one of them make. I've been telling people that for like a month now. That it's just it's going to be insane unless we just get hit with right. really dry weather. Right, and, and then Easter rain. Yeah, we're a little dry right now. But anyway, that's my favorite easy. Some people don't like the seeds. You know I don't what? care. I I, that, the flavor is so much better. That's right. That's right. Uh, Fresh yeah. is good. Yeah. Okay, so we got the we got the sweet tooth out of the way. What's your favorite? What's your favorite main course or uh, main dish to cook? You the mentioned e the Boston butts. Uh, the I, know you're, I know you're big on those. <laughs> I love pork butt. Uh, that is the easiest by far. Uh, and it's a crowd pleaser. You can take a, a seven or eight pound butt in a, in a 12 inch meat oven mm -hmm. and feed a good number of people. Uh, you need to be careful and make sure it's done through and through. Again, the meat, meat thermometer, thermometer is indispensable. Uh, you know, I smoke a lot of pork butts, and and you know, smoked for pulled pork, it need to be 200 degrees internal. Sliced, when you get to 180, you can quit. It's done. Right. But uh, I, I cook it until uh, until it's about at least 190. Uh, and if I forget my meat thermometer, which I frequently do, that bone pretty well tells the story. You wiggle that bone, if it wiggles free, comes out, you pull it and it comes out clean, guess what? It's done. Also important if you're cooking bear. That's, well, I never uh, cooked bear. So that's a little side story I can tell you. Okay. That, no, wasn't the same, it wasn't the same Michigan camp it was a year before. And you've probably heard this. Now, I'm going to say it now because he, he's been giving me a hard time. But Nick always calls him, says his name rhymes with Bob Bones. Um, he brought some bear meat into camp. And we cooked bear meat. They had a nice, we had a campfire. We had a nice uh, uh, grill that was suspended by chains. Mm -hmm. And we cooked sausage. Man, we cooked everything. We cooked bear. It was dark. Nobody knew if that bear was done or not. <laughs> and there were some pieces of bear meat came off that thing. There were people going, well, if I'm ever going to come down with trichinosis. It's today. This is going to be the meal that did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it side story and I basically just told that just so I could say Bob Bones because he's been every time Nick says his name he'll text me or call me won't know why I'm letting Nick do it I'm like dude Nick said it why aren't you calling Nick right, right, right. Uh, so anyway 
Uh, but yeah, you do need to make sure that whatever you're doing, it's you do. it's, it's done. And a thermometer, it's make thermometer way to go. I, you know, I'm I'm sold on them. I got a quick read, and and uh, man, I'm I'm sold on them. Now the dish that we posted on the, mm -hmm. do you remember that one? I do. Go into that one real quick, cause I I still got to try that one myself, even though and it sounds. It's with some modifications yeah. to what you told me, I think I would I would really love it. It wow. seemed like there was one or two items in there that didn't appeal to me. I but got you. You can be creative, right? You can, and that's the beauty of, of recipes. Uh, that that's well, if you're baking, I heard I heard a guy say one time it was, uh, you know, when you're baking, that's like a formula, mm -hmm. and you need to follow it carefully. Right. But if you're not baking, just whatever, you yeah. know, anything go. Uh, this recipe is a breakfast casserole, if you want to uh, identify it properly. I got the recipe off of a card in the first Lodge brand Dutch oven that I ever bought. And it's called Mountain Man Breakfast. That original recipe called for the use of uh, your favorite breakfast meat. Sausage is usually easier, That's my favorite. easier to do than any. Uh, and it called for, for frozen hash browns. Well, I tried that one time, and I thought, this, this, this is not what things are supposed to be. So from that point forward, I used fresh potatoes. But uh, if I know I'm gonna do a mountain man breakfast tomorrow, I'll bake the potatoes tonight and put them in the cooler after okay. they're done. And in the morning, uh, when we get started, I'll, uh, I'll brown my sausage. Now, when you say bake the potatoes, Explain that real quick. Just well, because I hear baked potato, and I'm thinking to bake a potato. But it's exactly what it is. Okay. I, I'll, I'll buy a 10 pound bag of, of russet, mm -hmm. usually russet potatoes, uh, and I'll, I'll bake them. And okay. you can bake them, just throw them in the fire if you want, uh, throw them in the oven if you want, wherever you're cooking it. You can wrap them in foil and do that, whatever you want. Uh, I generally wrap mine in foil and uh, it cuts down on the grit. And uh, <laughs> I'll bake them done. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got to be able to squeeze that thing it gives. Right. Okay. So, so I bake them done, and then I put them away. If they're a little bit underbaked, that's okay too, because you're gonna you're gonna put the heat you're gonna to continue them. cooking. Yeah. Yeah. So in the morning, I'll cut up a, a medium onion. That's and the part I didn't care. Usually for. a sweet onion, mm -hmm. uh, especially if they're in season. This time of year, the vidalias are coming in, and and uh, boy, oh boy, you can't beat a good vidalia onion. They don't like me, and I'll, I'll be honest, well, I'm not crazy about the flavor, but the heartburn, they kill can't, me. Can't bear them, but uh, I'll cut up an onion, uh, dice it pretty fine, mm -hmm. and I'll roll it in there with that sausage as it's browning. I use, uh, depending on the size of the crowd I'm trying to feed, anywhere from one to two pounds of sausage, and if I use two, one of the two is going to be hot. Mm-hmm. I love Jimmy Dean sausage, and, and so it's going to be the hot Jimmy Dean and, and a regular, and it kind of tempers it out. But get my sausage good and brown, and needs to drain. So have a way to drain your sausage uh, and your onion if you choose to use onion. Uh, and then I put it right back. As soon as I drain it, I put it right back. Then I put my baked potatoes in. I have sliced those potatoes now in, in about yeah, three-eighths of an inch thick slices, okay. and I deal them across the, the top of everything, the meat. Uh, I then crack a dozen eggs and uh, I put my potatoes and my, my, my uh, sausage mixture back on the, the coals and get it warmed up and when it's adequately warmed and you'll know that the sausage will start frying Sizzling, again, right. you, you pour the 
the eggs over the top of all now are you scrambling them yes you, absolutely absolutely so scramble the now, eggs some people point. don't some people put them in just dump the whole you know don't break the yolks they just pour them in and do it that way and i've seen it done both ways i prefer to scramble i them do out. too uh, so so put the eggs in put the lid on with top heat you, you very little bottom heat at this point now you're, you're down to about six coals underneath and then line the top again so you want like to cook cooking. what's on I top i do i right. want it to bake yep. it's a casserole after all so it needs to bake once those eggs set and i'm looking i, I peek I, I mean after about 10 minutes i'm peeking once those eggs set uh, i'll take a a pound to two pounds depending on how much sausage i've got of a grated cheese of some kind i like cheddar mm -hmm. sharp cheddar at that but uh, you use what you want, but but sprinkle liberally. Thick, <laughs> lay it on thick. Ain't yeah. no, yeah. Be be real <laughs> generous with your cheese. So the pound in a in a twelve inch oven, it ain't it ain't gonna seem like it's going that far. Right, right. So that's why I use two pounds or a pound and a half at least, and I lay it on pretty thick. Uh, put the heat back to it. The the lid goes back on at that point. The cheese gets melted. Keep looking. And it doesn't take long for cheese to melt in that hot oven. Then you take uh, one to two jars of salsa. If you're, if you don't like the onions, you probably want mild salsa. I like the onions, so I like hot salsa. So hot sausage, onions, and I forgot to tell the Sasha that I'm seasoning my sausage. <laughs> Plus now a uh, 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 hot salsa. And I do like hot salsa. Lay the hot salsa to it. Put the lid back on. When that salsa bubbles, it's time to eat. You take a spatula. This is the way I serve it. And I cut it like a pie with that spatula. I cut wedges. Mm -hmm. And then I go in to, down the side and I get a wedge. And you got probably 10 ounces, <laughs> 12 ounces of, of, of that Mountain Man breakfast on your plate. Now, your breakfast meat's in there. Your potatoes are in there. Yeah, your cheese in there. Your eggs in there. And you got salsa. And then you take a bottle of hot sauce and do whatever you want to do with that. And let me tell you something: you don't need lunch. Yeah, I've got, I've got to try that. Every time we talk about this, that sounds so good. I've not is gotten good. around to trying it yet, but I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna throw one thing out there for you though. You, right. Do you ever venture into North Carolina? Occasionally. Next time you go, if you go by a grocery store, look for Nieces sausage. Okay. N-E-E-S-E-S. -E -E right. I can almost guarantee you it'll become your favorite sausage you've ever eaten. I've eaten almost all of them. I grew up on Nieces. And part of it, I'm sure part of it might be because I grew up on it. Sure. But I really, in truth, I say that if we bought sausage at the grocery store, it was Nieces. Right. We raised our own most of the sure. time up until I was probably in my late teens. Right. But it is, it's, it comes in wax paper. Mm-hmm. And it is without a doubt. Lori doesn't like sausage, but she likes she it. She likes that. There you go. Every time we, you know, whenever we go up there, she'll end up. We've got to get some nieces, and we've we've actually brought back back and froze it just because that's, it's that's high it's praise. That good. She she doesn't like sausage. She likes that. That's, that's yep. pretty good. That's good stuff. Well, Gene, anything we haven't touched on that you would throw out? I know you you, you brought your you brought your uh, research material. We never even got into that. Well, I, Is there I a book you, there you'd like to recommend the, people try to find? Or? Yeah, the first the first cookbook that I ever bought relative to Dutch oven cooking 
is put out by an outfit called the International Dutch Oven Society, IDOS. Still available? Uh, you know what? Online, I'm sure it is. Yep. Uh, I, Bass Pro used to carry this. That's where I got mine. Worst thing, check eBay. That's right. World Championship Dutch Oven Cookbook is the name of it. Uh, there are a bunch of others. Lodge puts out several. You can go on eBay and, and just get tons of them. Uh, and they're all good. But if you're like me and you get two recipes out of one book, sure, you're doing pretty good. Because, you, you, you know, some of them complicated and I don't fool complicated. And experiment a little bit. That's right. That's right. Experiment but That's my bit. favorite one and, and uh, I, I'm sure it's still available on uh, online somewhere. But Camp Chef is another outfit that makes ovens and they make books and, and that's, a, that's a, a high quality product in my book as well. And then there's the MACA, I'm going to call it MACA Dutch oven. MACA. Uh, they make very large ovens. Heavy. Okay. Now they're pricey. More so than Lodge. Uh, I believe they're imported. I may be wrong about that. Uh, I don't own one. Uh, all I own are, are, are Lodge ovens, and they're, they're local. Oh, I say local. They're almost locally made. Uh, they're, they're U.S. made anyway. And they, they, it's a good cast, so that's, that's what I like. And they're available just about everywhere. Walmart's got them. Okay. The, the local Kroger. Lodge is the one I know. Yeah, that's a good one. And the Lodge Logic, you know what, they may, I'm not sure they even make an unseasoned oven anymore. I think all they make now is the Lodge Logic. Brand. Yeah, I don't, I don't know yeah. of any that, I haven't seen one in a long time that wasn't, that wasn't pre-seasoned. That's right. Um, well, I'm ask one more question that actually just came to me, and before I ask this, you know, make sure you don't have any rocks you can pick up and throw at no me. No rocks. What about, uh, what about cast aluminum? You know, funny you should mention that. That crossed my mind a few minutes ago. I've one of my books here. Uh, the guy that wrote that book is is a believer in cast aluminum, and and I'll tell you, I've seen a few of those in my time, but it was a long time ago. Uh, I'm sure they're available online. I don't look for them, so I don't know. But uh, when I was in the Scouts, we had uh, we had aluminum ovens, and they worked just fine. So no, that you're aware of, no downside. I, and I haven't even looked at them, but I'm pretty sure they'll probably be more expensive. You know what? I but I don't know that for certain. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, aluminum being what it is, right. I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Of course, it's a third of the weight of steel, so you're, right. you're going to haul it uh, better. Well, and see, that's the thing. That's the, and that's the reason I thought about it. I've seen them in the past, but just recently, Clay Hayes posted a video about something. I, don't, I think it was about packing. Uh, Dutch ovens mm -hmm. uh, in a backcountry trip, mm -hmm. and he was showing how he lashes it together. And he he mentioned that it was aluminum, yeah. Which obviously anybody's picked up a, a cast iron Dutch oven, you're not going to be you're not going to be throwing one of those on your back and carrying it very far with everything I mean, else. But um, I know they make the aluminum pie tins. Not, you know the little right. pie. I don't. I call it a tin. It's not a tin. It's it's a pie iron. They call it. Mm -hmm. They make those out of aluminum right. uh, for for campfire use, but. Like I said, I haven't looked for them. I know, gosh, 45 years ago, I could tell you right where to go, but not yeah. anymore. Well, I'm gonna throw one little, one other little tip that you might appreciate, because you do quite a bit of this stuff. It's somebody, it was, I keep bringing up these hunting trips in Michigan. I'm gonna give those guys a, a swelled head. Um, do you know what a, what an omelet iron is mm -hmm. or omelet stove 
omelet stove. You know, one of the little folds? Little, little fold. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. They were cooking biscuits in those things they like were. nobody's business. They and were. I was like, I would have never thought of such. I'll tell you one thing, the oddest thing I own in the way of cast iron cookware. I was getting ready to say, careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got a, I uh, actually got a crepe pan. A cast iron crepe pan. Really? Sure do. And what do you use it for? Making crepes? Well, pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Real thin little pancakes. Yeah. I knew where you were going with that. Right. Had to ask the question. That's right. Well, Gene, I think we've uh, we've managed to beat this one in the submission. But You're I tell right. you what, as is always the case, it was fun just sitting here talking to you. So sure. I enjoyed it. We got to figure out another topic. And do this again, man. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, we better be careful about that. I I I try to uh I try to limit <laughs> myself. Uh, I I just tell you the story. I had a professor in college, first night of class, he came <clears throat> in and it was a management course and uh he told us, he said, You know, uh I don't know a whole lot about a whole lot of things. <laughs> But I know a whole lot about two or three things. Right. And it would be in your best interest to listen to me when I'm talking about either of those two or three things. So so don't get me too far out of my wheelhouse is all I ask. You know, I, 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 I understood and appreciate that. But I will tell you, I know you you have done a lot of, um, well, a lot of shoots and a lot of hunts that TBG has put on, things like that that for whatever reason just never seemed to work out for me timing-wise. Right. But one of these days, I'm going to get around to actually participate in one of those with you, and I actually think that would be a probably a pretty good discussion after the fact. It'd be um, a hoot, yep. So, right. you know, that's that's one thing we can talk about. And we, uh, unless something happens, you're going to be heading up to Compton's with us in, I hope, I hope so, in yeah. June, next yep. month. Right. Um, I'm in doing some of the final planning around that, so uh, if folks that are listening, Nick and I will definitely be having a booth. We've already got the uh, map back. We know where we're going to be setting up. Look for us right next to the good folks at St. Joe River Bows because we're going to be right beside of them. That's good. Um, and if you want to meet the Dutchman, uh, just stop by and, and and ask me about it. And I'll I'll point you in his general direction. We'll make him infamous. So, Gene, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. All right, take care and thanks everyone for tuning in. Until next week, so long.